You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Randy Bolander, and I am glad to have you with us. We've got a message today from the bridge from Daniel Grenz, one of our uh, leadership team. Uh, originally, I was scheduled to speak and continue our series in First John, and then middle of the week, uh, we had a little visitor at our house, a uh, little, little COVID action. Uh, was not infected. I didn't get it. I tested negative, but uh, I wasn't so sure I was going to escape. And so I reached out to Daniel midweek and said, hey, you might want to have one in your pocket. And uh, later on in the week, just said, Daniel, why don't you go ahead and take it? Fantastic message. Really excited uh, to get this out there. Before Daniel preached, we took about 15 minutes and prayed for the unborn. It was Sanctity of Life Sunday. I was so encouraged to see how people leaned into intercession. The bridge, at its core, is a prayer meeting where we also worship and teach. Like, that's our heart. That's not just our heart, it's our function. I never want to become a teaching meeting where we pray on the side. And so I was so happy to see us lean back into that. We've actually got clips of that on our YouTube channel. If sometimes you watch our messages that way, you'll be able to find it there. But for now, here, the teaching, Daniel Grins from the bridge. Welcome again, everybody, those joining online. Like Randy said, you're missing out on some of the fun of the, the props in the room. You know, I was, I was moving a table earlier, and I'm, I'm picking up things, and I'm just trying to imagine how is all of this going to come together in a production. I'm almost intrigued enough to, to come back and watch. Um, but but I, love that. I love that we get the kids in here with us today. Um, I was on a call a little over a week ago with some friends in Myanmar. Uh, that work in the slums in Yangon, and and they were sharing testimonies. There's actually some YouTube videos. If you're interested, I can send them to you. But they're having regular gatherings where children in the place of prayer and worship are getting taken to heaven. And these kids who have never read the scripture, they don't know, they've never heard a message on this stuff. They're describing what the throne room looks like. They're describing the beauty around God's presence. And uh, it's, it's just this, every time they're gathering, the Holy Spirit is coming in their midst in such a significant way. And so I, I'm believing that for us as well. I'm believing that for my kids. I'm crying out for that. I, I was sitting with Rachel maybe a month ago, shortly after they got back from Kona. And she was describing to me, I think it'd be fun sometime to have you share this stuff, but she was describing just what happened as they were worshiping and how the heavens itself were responding and testifying as they were touching the presence of God. And I hear these stories, and, and I'm, I'm encouraged, but I'm deeply provoked. And, and I want to share why in just a moment. But, but I was thinking, you know, it's, it's January 23rd, so we're about three weeks into this new year, which is kind of right around that time when those New Year's resolutions that we set Three weeks ago, have, have kind of, we've kind of decided, ah, I'm going to go a different direction. You know, that gym membership is just kind of dwindling away, and, and that Peloton bike is sitting idle in the closet. Unless you're Randy, then it's being used daily. Um, 
I actually saw that Peloton now is like stopping millions and millions of dollars of production, um, which may coincide with the fact that resolutions are stopping as well. But I, but I wanted to share on this idea of resolutions. Um, not really because it's New Year's and that's, you know, that's a New Year's message, not really at all. But in prayer today, uh, this week, I felt like the Lord was saying, I want this family to be a family that's resolute of heart and that's resolute after my presence. And, and I was just thinking about resolutions this, this past week and, and I got an email from a friend um, who Carla and I actually last April we went and visited and spent time with in the refugee camps in Kurdistan and they're building this equestrian therapy center. I talked to you guys about this, Nelson's a little bit ago. And anyway, this past week, they brought in dozens of date palm trees from Baghdad to transplant into the soil in, in this equestrian center in Kurdistan. And she was just kind of describing the process of what it took and how they had to dig, I think it was three or four meters deep and five meters wide, and just the support system that these trees required. And, and they wrap the tops of the palm branches to keep them in place. And, and so she's talking to the people that, that were kind of the experts behind this operation. And she's like, when, when can we remove the strings and let the palm branches come down? You know, she's thinking maybe in a week, maybe in a few weeks. And they're like, well, why don't you ask us that question in a year? And, and we'll kind of see how the tree is doing. And I'm reading that, just thinking about this idea and thinking, I mean, in our lives, resolutions, having resolute heart is like that structure where it's, it's supporting what the Lord is wanting to plant us in and root us in. And, and so they're so significant. Um, so I'm gonna talk about, I've got a couple pieces that I hope will coalesce together this morning. I wanna talk about resolutions. And so I, I just kind of introduced that, but I, I'll, I'm gonna circle back to that towards the end. Um, and, and so, you know, this idea of how God is moving among the children and, and in gatherings where we're at. You know, I, I hear that. And I've had seasons in my life where I'm deeply believing to encounter God in that way. But even this past week, I, I was faced with the reality that I so often and so easily live most of my moments on autopilot. I live most of my moments with routines that I can kind of, you know, be half engaged with and just kind of go through the flow. And like Randy, I grew up in the Dakota Territory, which, which has since been divided, though I think it should still be one. Right, Daniel? Um, I grew up in the Dakota Territory. And, and autopilot is just kind of the way you drive there. You know, there, it's flat. It's sectioned, so the roads are pretty straight. There's not much traffic. You know, you get in the car, and you can think about a thousand different things. And, and you kind of have this autopilot on how I get home, and if you're going somewhere else, you might miss the exit every once in a while. But, but, we, but I've found that I, I can tend to live my life in that way, where it's like I'm, I'm familiar, I know the systems, I know the lay of the land, and, and I just go through the motions at times. And while autopilot is great for airplanes, not so good for driving a car, it's really not a desirable way to live our lives. And yet we are so readily and quickly creatures of habit. You know, we like what's predictable. We like what, 
we can, we can understand what's familiar, what's controllable and containable. You know, that's why we have our babies sleep in cribs. We like them being contained, unless you're us for some reason, our six-month-old is in bed. And just in case I have a, a narcoleptic episode and fall asleep up here, she decided last night that being up every 20 minutes would be a fun way to spend the night. Um, that wasn't as controllable or containable. You know, but, but we like having our fenced-in yards, and we, we just like having things curated. And, and there's times where that's okay, but I've found personally, and, and I would guess that you would relate to this, that that can tend to bleed over into our relationship with the Lord. That can tend to flow over into when we gather together in this place on Sunday morning. You know, we like that it's dependable that there will be donuts there for me. There will be worship, there will be a message, but in the midst of what is familiar, what is the level of expectation in our hearts? And, and so I wanna talk about that just for a few moments because just in, in praying into this week and into this message, I, I'm just like, I don't wanna live skimming the surface of life. I don't wanna be half engaged in the moments that the Lord has in front of me. I, I don't wanna hear another call to praying for the ending of abortion and think, well, I've, just, I've done this a thousand times and I'm just kind of going through the motions. I wanna believe that each moment is a divine invitation to encounter God in a fresh and living way. And yet I find myself so often staying where it's safe, where, where it's nice and containable and we've got our 30 minutes of worship and we've got our one hour message and we're gonna go watch the Chiefs and those are all beautiful things. But what if God wanted to break in in our midst? What if he had something else in mind? Would we be prepared for that? And, and I don't want this to come across as a, a message of guilt, condemnation. I, I don't want it to come across in that way at all because I believe really what he's inviting us into is an awakened hunger, a fresh hunger, a fresh reach and a fresh longing. Because when we reach for him, he has promised, I will respond. When you draw near to me, James 4, 8, I will draw near to you in response. And so what do we believe for when we come to meet with God? For, for many of us, we've done this a thousand times over. Over the years, over the decades, Sunday mornings, we've come, we've gathered, we've pressed in in worship. But what is our level of expectation as we come together? I, I want us to be a people that believes when we, from the moment that first strum of the guitar plays, that we're gonna go somewhere together that heaven is gonna break into our midst, that healing and deliverance and strength and just the beauty of Jesus is gonna flood our presence, that there's gonna be lost gathering in our midst that are gonna encounter the Lord in such sweet ways that give their lives to him, that fall on their faces and say, he is the one true living God. I want that for my life when I get up in the mornings to seek him and I want that for us. And so today, I wanna look at what I believe is one of our primary roles as the bridge. And I love that, like Randy said, like you may not have known you were coming to a prayer meeting, but that's who we are. Because I believe one of the foundational identities, this is for everybody, it's not unique to us, but I believe it is specific in a, in a, a significant way, is that he's calling us to be a community of priests. He's calling us to be ones that live before him in a significant way in the place of ministering to him in worship, partnering with him in intercession and receiving his heart in that place. So I want to look at priesthood just for a minute. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Genesis. 
Start right in the beginning and go the whole way through Genesis to Revelation. The Chiefs don't play till what time? Okay, we've got time. It's good. 5.30, 6 o'clock. Um, but I, I want us to go all the way back to the beginning. You know, I, I think often of this hour of history that we're in. I think often of the shaking that's happened in our nation. I think often of both the, the increasing darkness that's trying to come in, but then also what the Lord's doing. And I feel like we're in a time like never before where that call just like I read earlier from Numbers, to take our stand as priest is the solution. The solution is not to have well-curated gatherings. The solution is not to have all of these different programs. It is to be a people that stands before God, that encounters his heart, that receives his purposes and can live in partnership with him. And so we go all the way back to the beginning of time. In Genesis, I told you we're gonna start at the beginning. Genesis 1, <laughs> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And so we see this, this reality where God is there and that's about it. There's, there's no earth. There's no Milky Way galaxy. There's no solar systems. But in that place, he's hovering over the surface of the deep. And into that, he creates the heavens and the earth. He creates what we find out is this cosmic sanctuary that he's gonna dwell in, that he's gonna fill with himself, and that he's gonna put his partner into that place. And so in Genesis 2, we see this in intimate account. With all of creation, God speaks and it is. But in Genesis 2, it says that he had created the heavens, the earth, the animals, the vegetation, and then we see this picture, I believe it's Jesus, the pre-incarnate God, stooping down and beginning to form with his hands in this deeply intimate way what ends up becoming this human being. I want you to picture this moment for a minute. And, and I'm glad the kids are here because I think you guys are gonna have the best imagination of what this could have been like, where God is using his hands and, and he's deciding, should the human have... One nose or two noses, you know? Should, should they have three arms or two arms? You know, he's just deciding, like, this is what will best reflect my heart and will best be the vessel for my desire and my delight. And so he, he constructs this living being. And I just imagine, this is, again, this is not necessarily the biblical account, but I imagine Jesus taking his time, careful and crafted with each and every detail, and when he finishes the, the formation and, and putting together, weaving together Adam with his hands, it says then he gets down low and he goes, and he releases into Adam his breath. He releases into this, this creature that is still void. It's still empty on the inside. He said, now I'm gonna fill them with my presence. And so it says he breathes into Adam's nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a, a living soul or a living being. But, but what I want you really to imagine is the moment right after that. The moment right after the breath came and Adam's eyes pop open. What do you think Adam saw? What do you think Adam was looking at? And the reason I wanna, I wanna hit into this for just a minute is because our answer to that question will tell us so much 
about who we believe God to be, about what we believe God to be like, about who we're interacting with in this cosmic sanctuary where he is God and we are priests. What do we believe him to be like? Imagine what Adam first saw on Jesus' face. Do you think he looked and he saw Jesus standing there just motionless and emotionless, disconnected, unengaged? Do you think he looked and he saw Jesus just kind of like, man, I should have done that a little different. I should have put his eyes a little bit higher up in the forehead, you know? (laughs) Do you think he saw Jesus just walking away, kind of like, I did my part, I'm done, I'm out. What did Adam see? Was Jesus serious? Was he unimpressed? Was he discouraged? I believe we get a glimpse into this in Proverbs chapter eight. If you have your Bibles, let's look at this together. Proverbs eight, verse 30 and 31. This is a unique passage. It's it's describing or depicting wisdom, but doing it in a way where it's connecting like this personification of wisdom as a personification of Jesus. And in Proverbs 8, verse 30, it says, then I was beside him. I believe this is saying that I, Jesus, was beside him, the Father, as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. And this gives us a little glimpse into Jesus's emotions and what he was doing during creation, and it says that he was a master craftsman, and he was rejoicing. He was singing, he was jumping, he was dancing, he was shouting. And that word rejoicing that it uses here, it's the same word used to describe David. When David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, if you remember that passage, his wife was, was deeply offended by, by his expression, but it says he was dancing with all of his might before the Lord. He was swirling around and he was singing his songs. And I mean, I can't imagine that moment for David, just the, the deep elation and jubilee of his heart that he was expressing, rejoicing with pleasure. And this is what it says Jesus was doing. He was rejoicing over Adam when he was born. And so Adam opens his eyes and he sees the uncreated God beaming with the biggest smile he could ever have. I imagine Jesus was singing and he's hooting and hollering and he's saying, yes, he's here. I love you. You're amazing. Just imagine that moment. What do you think his first words to Adam were? we We don't have record of that, but just ponder that for a minute. And I think these reflections are so significant because in seeing God's original intention in creating Adam, we see how God feels and what he desires for us. We see what he's after in us. I imagine Adam woke up and and was probably exploding. You know, he was probably stunned. I mean, he had no other context or grid to realize like this is not normal, but at the same time, this wasn't normal, that he's looking into the face and the beauty of Jesus who's dancing and singing over him. And so I'm just guessing Jesus probably assured him. He's like, Adam, I love you. We're gonna be in this together forever. I'm the joy-filled God who rejoices and delights and desires you forever. And I've made you like me 
to do what I do and to be like I am. And so he creates Adam, and the very next thing that it says he does, it says he had made the garden, this place where he was gonna walk and, and rejoice and delight. And it says he took Adam and he put him in the garden to cultivate the garden. In Genesis 2.15, that's where it says he took the man, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now we read that and we think, okay, he gave Adam a hoe and he gave him a shovel. He's like, you know, go, go plant some strawberry bushes and go get rid of this and that. And, but I don't think that's really what he was saying. It's interesting, the word in Hebrew, to cultivate it, it's the word abad. And this is the same word that's often used to describe what the priests would do in the tabernacle. In Numbers 3, 6, and 7, it talks about how they were, the sons of Aaron were commissioned to serve in the tabernacle. And that word serve is abad. And so we see in the creation story, God creates Adam, he delights in him, he sings over him. And he says, now I'm going to have you be a priest. You're going to create an environment where I can dwell in your midst, where my beauty, my glory can fill the environment. And from that place, you're going to be fruitful and multiply. You're going to fill the ends of the earth with the message of who I am. I, I want to just mention four specific roles that Adam had and that the priests had. First of all, they functioned as friends of God. I would say primarily. That was why Adam was created. He was created to be the bride of Jesus. He was created to be a friend who got to walk and talk and be near God. It says God would come into the garden in the cool of the day to walk and talk with Adam and Eve. And so priests, first of all, they were friends of God near his presence. The second thing that we see is priests would gaze upon his beauty. This, this comes into play even more clearly and just with the priests around the throne and especially when David puts singers and musicians in the tabernacle. He's like, your main role is look at his beauty and sing about how, how beautiful he is. I mean, think about that. You, what if your job description, you went to your workplace and your entire job was gaze on the beauty of God. That's all you gotta do. Just gaze on him, let fascination fill your heart, let awe and wonder grip you and grow inside of you. And, and I think it's so significant that God said one of the primary roles of priests is to look at me because then in, in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, you're gonna become like what you behold. And so in this sense, it's like, I want you to look at me. I want you to gaze upon my beauty, gaze upon my glory because I want you to become like that. I want that to fill you. So they're friends of God. They behold his beauty. The next thing that priests do is they partner with God. We see this in Adam in a really unique way that none of the rest of us have gotten to do other than naming our dogs or our cats. But he gets to name all the animals. I mean, imagine what that was like. You got this, this big giraffe coming along and, and you just think of the word giraffe. You know, I, I probably wouldn't have been that creative. I would have said like long neck spotted one or something like that, but, but he partners with God in speaking forth this identity over creation. And, and I believe that when God would come down and he was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, I, I believe that was also this moment where God is talking to Adam and Eve. He's saying, hey, this is what's on my heart. This is what I'm thinking. These are some of the plans, some of the counsel. What do you guys think? 
What's your thoughts on this? I want to know. I want to get your input. I want to get your counsel because I made you for that. I made you to partner with me in causing this dwelling place, this global sanctuary to fill the whole earth. And so we partner with him just like we did this morning where we say, God, what's your heart for the unborn? And then I'm going to ask you for it. And I'm going to release that word in intercession. And the fourth thing that, that priests would do is that they would proclaim That's that commission, be fruitful and multiply, proclaim, fill the earth, make known my beauty and my glory to the ends of the earth. Let the message of who I am, of what I'm like, my personality, my values, my plans, and my purposes go forth. So why are we looking at this? (laughs) It's a good question. And, And the reason why we're looking at this is because these foundational moments of priesthood are so important for us as guideposts, as we're we're determining what am I gonna resolve for my heart and my life. I mean, I could stand up here and say, I I resolve that, you know, I'm I'm gonna bench press 800 pounds this next year and and I'm gonna have a a cat collection of 45 different types of cats and uh, I'm gonna travel to 133 different countries. Like, I can have all these resolutions, but if they're disconnected from who I'm called to be, then it, it's kind of pointless, right? So, so I want to look first at this issue of who are we called to be? Individually, yes, but as a family called the bridge. What is our identity in this city and in this region called to look like? And so these foundational moments of priesthood are important because they guide us into what our invitation is. In, in the midst of our, our busy and hurried lives in which, I mean, I'm so quick to forget and lose sight as I'm just kind of skimming along the surface. And, and I think we're living in a time where, you know, we get our 280 character tweets and our 30 second TikTok sound bites. And, you know, we just have these moments here and there. And, and, and one of the effects of that is we live in such a discombobulated, scattered sense of existence. And God says, let's lock in on what I've created you for and why you are here with me. And and like Randy said, the other stuff will still be there there later. You can still catch up on TikTok after, you know, and and get some of those pieces, or or maybe you won't want to anymore. But these moments, you know, could it be that these last, this past season, I'm even thinking two years ago, almost two years now since we had that shelter in place, could it be that God was like, I want to slow you down? I want to I wanna break you free from those crazy cycles that so easily and quickly took you off course from my heart, who I am and who you are, to draw us into a deeper place with him. Let's look in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Peter's saying you're chosen. Some of you, that's the word you need to hear this morning. I have personally selected you. I have desired you and handpicked you to be mine a royal priesthood, 
You know, when we're born again through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we are brought before God really in three main ways, three primary identities that it gives us, sons and daughters, the bride of Jesus, and priests. And so obviously, if you, if you haven't guessed it, we're looking at priesthood this morning. But when you think of priesthood, don't think, okay, I've got to go find a linen robe and wear bell bottoms again. You know? It was a joke. The priests had the bells on the, the bottom of the robe. It's not about linen robes or bell bottoms. Um, it's not about eating pomegranates either. But there are still very real and tangible connections. Peter uses this language for a reason. He's using the same language that God said to Moses in Exodus 19. When Peter's hearers read chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 without the chapter, chapter markers, they realized, oh, what we are in Jesus is actually what God gave to the people of Israel. It's actually who Israel was when God brought them out of Egypt in the Exodus. In Exodus 19, 5 and 6, God says, you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The context for this, God had just brought them out of Egypt. He had just displayed the greatest fireworks show ever. I mean, the signs and the, the things happening in the heavens, unprecedented. Just a little teaser, it's gonna happen again. But he, he had shown his power. He brings them to this mountain Later in that chapter, it says the mountain is shaking and fire was upon the mountain, thunder and lightning. And, and if you read uh, into some of these things going on, you actually realize that he was initiating a wedding ceremony with Israel. Joel Richardson has a book called From Sinai to Zion that lays out all of these different symbols that were happening in this story and how it was all of the symbols of a Jewish wedding. God is saying, I'm calling you out. I'm delivering you by my hand to be my bride, wholehearted and holy mine. It shows that God is the one that when he initiated priesthood again, it was not this, this legalistic, rule-filled thing that he was setting up. It was, I am so jealous in passionate love for you. I desire you, I like you, I want you, you're mine. And so because of that, I want you to serve as priest before me. There, there obviously is a measure of jealousy. We, we read how, you know, if, if they were off a little bit, uh, a couple of Aaron's sons, it didn't go well for them because he is a jealous almighty God, just like it says in Narnia about Aslan. He's not safe, but he's good. And so there's that dimension to it of his holiness. But he brings them out. He says, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. And then he gives Moses blueprints for the tabernacle, blueprints of what it's gonna be like to have on earth, as it is, on earth as it is in heaven. But along the way, the Israelites lose sight of who they are and whose they are. They, they start straying. They start going through the motions. They create this golden calf. I read that story and I'm thinking, that is the most bizarre story ever, especially what Aaron says. When Moses is like, what happened? He's like, well, I threw all this stuff in and a calf popped out. It's just this bizarre story. But, but when the people traded the glory of God they were created to reach for and dwell in for something measurable, containable, and understandable. God says to Moses, I'm done. Get out of my way, which means Moses was in his way. Moses contends, and, and God says, okay, I'll let them go, but I'm not gonna go with you. I'm gonna send my angel ahead of you. 
And I want to just kind of land on this place here today, Moses' response. If you look at Exodus chapter 33, God says, I'm going to send my angel, but I'm not going to go with you. If I go with you, I will destroy you. Moses says to him, God, if your presence does not go with us, don't lead us up out of this place. If your presence does not cover us and fill us and consume us and become everything about who we are, God, we can't go up from this place. How else will the nations know? God, your glory in the nations is at stake. Your glory in this city is at stake. Your glory in our extended families is at stake. Your glory in the nations of the earth is at stake. God, what else defines us and separates us and gives us distinction from everybody else except your presence in our midst? Except the manifestation of who you are resting upon us in supernatural ways, not just ways that we can we can say, well, I felt something inside and we tell the nations, but ways that the nations look at and say, whoa, this is the true and living God. This is the God who created all that there is. He is great and awesome and terrible. God, if your presence is not with us in that way, don't lead us up from this place. And Moses has the audacity then to say, God, show me your glory. I believe Moses realized I was created as a priest just like Adam, to gaze upon your glory. And without it, I cannot function. I cannot live. My existence is so, so much less than what you made me for. And yet we see in contrast the rest of the people. It says when Moses would go to, go to that tent, they would just stay back at their tents. They chose what was familiar, what was containable, what was understandable over what God had invited them to be and to live in. I was talking with a friend this week, just around some of these ideas. And we were talking about how in, in so many places, we have rightly commended faithfulness. We have rightly said, your faithfulness so deeply moves God's heart. But in some situations, in some contexts, we have elevated faithfulness over hunger and expectation. We have decided if I just show up, that's enough. No matter what happens, no matter what I feel, no matter where my heart's at, my faithfulness is all that matters. I'm, I'm not diminishing faithfulness, but I'm saying there's something more that God is inviting us into as a people that says, I'm gonna show up, but when I show up, I'm gonna come with a heart that's hungry and longing and expectant for something more, for a fresh touch with him. Because yesterday's manna that fell has grown rancid. Because yesterday's quail will not satisfy me any longer. What is God after? I mean, if we could keep going, I'm just gonna abbreviate as, as we're wrapping up this morning. But, but we look at this story in Exodus 40, they finish the tabernacle. What comes down from heaven? Fire. It says the cloud of God's presence filled the tabernacle so much that Moses couldn't even enter in. We read the same thing with Solomon, finishes the temple. The fire of God came down so strong that the priests couldn't even minister. I'm not saying that this is going to be a weekly thing. I, I would love it. I want to reach for it. But I want to expect that we're going to have moments when we gather that the presence of God is going to come so strongly into our midst that we can't even sing another word, that we can't even play another chord, that there's, there's no room for a, for a sermon, for a teaching. I love teaching. We have amazing teaching here. Some of the best stuff I've, I've ever been around. And we need that. And that's equipping and that's encouraging us. 
But that can't be what we stop at. We cannot be a people that says, I'm going to come, I'm going to get my donut again. We need the donuts. Donuts are good. It's manna, right? With a little, I mean, the the manna tasted like honey. It's kind of the same thing. You know, we want that, and we, we want the good equipping and the messaging. But if it's void of the presence and glory of God doing something, it's just that, you know, everything I've shared today it probably sounds like, well, this is pretty theological and it's kind of this hyper-spiritual thing. And, and the truth is, being a priest before God is so practical. Being a company of priests is so day-to-day. It's the little moments that say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set my heart in specific practical ways to store up my oil so that when I come together with the family, whether it's on Sundays or other gatherings, I've got my part to bring. I've stored up oil in my own heart so that when I come as a priest, I have an offering. You remember when it was the oil that was offered, that's when the fire fell. I I bring my oil. Above all else, that's what we need. Matthew 25, the parable of the virgins. Jesus says, get oil above all else. What do we bring when we come? Have we spent time gazing on him in our own lives? Have we taken time to pause, to pull back from the busy, hurried schedule we live in to just say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Have we gathered around at the dinner table with our kids just to talk about his goodness, to talk about how he's been so faithful, what he's done in our lives that day? Have we created these environments during the week where he will say, I'm gonna come and meet with you because you've given me space. And this is the foundation of our priesthood. It's day by day setting ourselves before God, before his word, carving out that space in prayer, singing songs as you're in the shower or driving your car or you know, where, where you may not want to be heard, but, but God will hear. Have we gone there in families, spiritual families, natural families, and are we talking about it in, in the places we find ourselves out in the world? I'm gonna ask Rachel to come back up. And, and so you're probably thinking, okay, we started with resolutions and we had this thing on priesthood and, and how does this all fit? And, and I wanna encourage us. I'm actually gonna, Robin, could you grab, I've got some paper there. I'm gonna pass this out um, and, and we won't, uh, if you wanna stay after you can and fill it out, but I want you to take this and I want you to spend time this week thinking through how can I resolve in my heart to live as a priest before God? It says in Daniel 1.8 that when Daniel was taken into Babylon, what guarded him in his identity as one who was set apart, I believe he, he functioned as a priest in that place, what guarded him was that it says he resolved in his heart of a specific way that he was gonna live his life according to his identity. He resolved that, that in the midst of what's coming, he didn't even know all that was coming. The temptations and the pressures and the busyness and just everything put upon him. He says, before I get to that point, I'm gonna resolve in my heart to live set apart before the Lord. This is the most, res- the most important resolution that we can make, our relationship with Jesus. The first and most important call for the priest is to get the oil, to buy the oil And just as we wrap, I want to make this even one more level of, bring this on one more level, making it specific. 
I believe two key places the Lord's highlighting for us of where to find oil and two key areas that he's saying, what's your resolution? What are you setting your heart to in this area? I believe that two of those areas are the word and the table. What is your resolution this year for your life in the word? I know that even as one who you know, does a lot of ministry and full-time ministry, teaching the Bible, doing all of that, if I am not so intentional with a vision for my life in the Word, it is so quickly taken from me. It is so easy for other things to fill that space and to think, well, I'll, I'll go there tomorrow. I'll go there the next day. But God is saying, would you be a people as priests before me that would find the oil of intimacy by being resolute in your life in the Word? Sitting before him in the Word, reading, meditating. Randy, I think even last week said it, you know, we're not going to say this is the way to do it. This is the plan you need. Just get something that's going to work for you. Something that will be a step in the direction of growing deeper in intimacy with God in the Word. Taking short phrases from the Scripture, mulling them over. I mean, even like we did today, finding stories and then just imagining what was that like? What were you doing in that moment, Jesus? What were you feeling? What was this interaction between you and the people on those pages? And take me into it myself. So we have there, you know, what is my vision for life in the word this year? And, and with that question, I want you just to add this. What, it, what would hinder me? What would distract me? What's an obstacle to be mindful of? For some of us, it's, it's social media. For some of us, it's entertainment. It's, it's Netflix, it's our cell phones. I know recently Carla and I have, have incorporated this rhythm where we don't take our phones into our room with us because there's so many temptations to just sit there at night or right away in the morning and look at that. I, I was reading a book, great book, I'd highly recommend it. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And at the end of this book, this guy, he's a pastor, he, he gives kind of these 20 rhythms of how to slow down. And one of the things he says is parent your phone. He says, my wife and I, when we put our kids to bed, we put our phones to bed, 8.30 sharp every night. Our phone goes in to the drawer in the kitchen and we make it sleeping. Like, that's perfect. That's how I parent my kids. Go to bed early, sleep in late. We all, we all do much better that way. You know, some of us need to do that. But, but what, may, what may hinder you from this life in the Word, from a vision you have for your heart in the Word, and how can you overcome that? So the Word, one of the places we find oil. The second place is the table. I was talking to Carla after I kind of thought of this last night. I'm like, is this theological? Like... Does it say anywhere in the Bible, like you get fresh oil of intimacy from the table? And I'm like, actually it does. Psalm 133, David says, behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And then he goes on and he talks about, it's like the precious oil that came down upon Aaron. Priestly oil for ministering to God and creating an atmosphere where God will break in in supernatural sovereign ways comes in part from us gathering around the table with one another. It comes in part as we open our lives up and we say, 
hey, this is a struggle of mine. This is something I need some counsel on. This is something amazing that happened. I want you to know me. I want to know you. And, and so I have a few questions here around that. Just in our, in our homes with our family. You know, how can we practice living as priests? But who can I pursue intentional, deeper spiritual community with this year? That's one of our core values and foundations as a people here, is that we want to build family. We want a people that goes somewhere together, in part because it's more fun that way, in part because that's where God's blessing rests. So who do I want to go deeper with in community? How am I going to do that? And then who am I going to invite to my table? And, and this is where that element of priesthood begins to touch the world around us. Who am I going to invite? Which neighbors is God highlighting? Which communities of the city is he saying, I want you to invite them over for a meal? Friends, there's 1,400 Afghan refugees that are living in hotels in Kansas City. And, and we're talking about, like, how can we get them to our table? You know, it may not be that setting, but who can you invite to share life with, to break bread with? For some of you, it's people in this room looking around and saying, hey, I want to get to know you. I want to hear who you are, the dreams, the passions, the fears, the struggles of your life. Because in that place, we're going to encounter the beauty of Jesus. Let's just stand together as we finish today. just want to pray over us and then Rachel's just going to sing. That's okay. We'll be done, but if you want to sit and just process these questions a little bit, write down some things stirring in your heart. If you need to go, that's okay. I, I highly encourage you guys to take some time. The thing about a resolution is that if it's not spoken out or written down, it's not a resolution. <laughs> the other thing about a resolution is that it, it's 10 times more effective when you share it with somebody. So, so I encourage you as you're going through this, share it with somebody in your family. Share it with a friend. Share it with somebody and say, hey, hold me to this. This is my vision for a life in the Word. You know, ask me in a week or two how I'm doing. Encourage me. So if you have space in your schedule today, I want to encourage you just to sit before the Lord on this for a few moments. Father, we say thank you today. Father, I thank you, God, that as it was when you were forming fashioning Adam, breathing life into him, as it was when you walked with him and Eve in the garden. This is what you desire for us as the bridge, to be a people that lives before the beauty and glory of your face, to be a people that gathers corporately around who you are, a people that preserves the knowledge and worship of our God, a people that creates a context that we don't come primarily on Sunday for what we can get because we're so tired, as real as that is, and as gracious as you are to meet us there. But we say, I've been preparing for this all week. I've been storing up oil all week. I've been gathering with family and friends all week around your presence. And I come to pour out my love before you. I come to minister to you, God. Let this be said and known of who we are that we are primarily a people that gathers to minister to you, God, to lift your name, to make your praises great. Father, I ask, God, 
you to release fresh vision for our hearts, fresh resolutions of heart to be a people that gathers to the word and to the table. Lord, we pray for those in our midst, God, who are, are sick physically, who are struggling, feeling just the weight, the pressure, the busyness of life. And I ask, Father, for a fresh breath of your spirit. God, even in this moment, Lord, those gathered online, those here in this room, Father, would you refresh them? Would you rejoice over them with singing today? God, would you speak a word of your love that pulls us out of places of heaviness and discouragement into the wonder and beauty of who you are and who we are to you. So we say, Father, here we are. God, we want to touch heaven. We want to see your beauty. And we want to live that calling and identity as a priest before you, before the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen again. If you need to go, be blessed. Join us Thursday night online. If you want to take time, we're just going to keep an atmosphere here for you to seek the Lord, to sit before him on some of these questions, to process together with a friend or with family. Be blessed. Love you guys.